My name is Michael, uh, one of the pastors and elders here at Veritas, and I am so excited to kick off this series this morning on prayer. Prayer, you know, is something that um, many people do, right? Many people do it. It's not an unfamiliar thing. I mean, if you look back over like the last several decades, even of like music of people that don't believe in Jesus, right? You get, you get lots of songs about prayer, right? Like Aretha Franklin, like saying a little prayer. Bon Jovi's living on a prayer. Garth Brooks had unanswered prayers, right? Justin Bieber said pray. MC Hammer said pray. Some of you are like, who's MC Hammer, right? Um, I'm not going to do the dance, I promise. Um, but you have all these like people over time that have just taught about prayer and sung about prayer. But prayer is often something we do infrequently. We know a lot about it. We say we value it, but it typically looks like we pray before mealtimes. We pray when we're in need or we pray when there's a tragedy. Pray for Hawaii. Pray for Maui. Pray for America. Pray for the moms as they wait for their kids to go back to school, right? Like all those kind of things start, are a lot of times the only times that we pray. Like why is something that we value so much, something that we do so little? I think our prayer lives say something about what we're living for. It's kind of a window into, oh, this is, this is what I believe about God. If somebody heard all of your prayers, what would they say about your God? Would they say, oh, her God's her. His God's comfort. What would they say about your God? If somebody did an audit of your prayer life and they look back at all the ways that you've prayed, all the things that you've prayed for, what would that reveal about what you're living for in life? It's a pretty scary thing even if I think back over like all the things that I've prayed in my life. Like, oh man, it would, a lot of people would say, oh, Michael's life is about Michael. What about you? If somebody audited your prayer life What would they say you live for? What would they say you value and depend on? What would they say you believe in? This morning, my hope is not to convince you to pray. I think you're here in a church service. It's probably, you go, oh yeah, that's kind of a valuable thing. My hope this morning is to, through God's word, through Jesus, to teach us how to pray. But not to just, what do we say? But like, what are the beliefs that dig deep that show us how to pray more like Jesus, all right? So if you got a Bible, turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. While you're turning there in Matthew 6, what we have is we're going to pick up in the middle of Jesus what we know now as the Sermon on the Mount. So Jesus has all these crowds following him, and as they're following him, he's trying to teach his disciples. So he kind of calls his disciples together, and then all the crowds are hearing what he's saying. And in Matthew chapter 6, we kind of jump in the middle of this. And this whole time, what he's trying to do in this sermon, or all these teachings compiled together, is to teach us how to live a life that's dedicated and pleasing to God. How do we live a life that's dedicating and pleasing to God? So we're going to jump in right here in chapter 6, verse 1. He says this, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people, in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Beware of practicing your righteousness. Now, when we talk about righteousness, we're talking about perfect holiness. 
That means that's none of us, right? The only one with perfect holiness that is completely righteous is Christ, okay? So that means our right standing before God. We can't stand before God and say, look, I I did this. I prayed this way. I did this thing. And he go, oh yeah, you're totally righteous. Like that doesn't work. We come before God with filthy rags, dead in our sins and trespasses. But the beautiful thing is that through Christ, He took on our sin on the cross and we get to take on his righteousness. So we have right standing before God. So he's saying, beware of practicing your righteousness. So there are ways that we're going to put into practice this right standing before God. Some people have called those spiritual disciplines or spiritual rhythms or holy habits, ways that we're practicing and demonstrating our right relationship with God. So now, Jesus is going to talk about a lot of different things. In the next few verses after this, he's going to talk about practicing your righteousness by giving to the needy. All right? But here, this is the big context that we need to know. How do you practice your righteousness? Well, he says, beware of practicing your righteousness when? Before other people. Now, not just before other people. It's okay to pray before other people. It's okay to give to the needy in front of other people. But he says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. The difference here is you're going to not just practice your righteousness and right standing before God, before others. He says, hey, watch out that you're not doing it in order to be seen by other people. You're not putting on this spectacular theatrical performance of, hey, look at my godliness. He goes, watch out, pay attention, be on guard that that's not how you're living. I think about like the Women's World Cup, soccer is going on right now. And if you watch soccer or even basketball these days, how many of you know the like term flopping? All right, so in soccer, in basketball, even these days, the idea of flopping is, hey, somebody like barely touched you, but then when they barely touch you, you act like you got hit with a bomb or something. You just flop everywhere. And you go crazy, why? Because you want the referee or you want the umpire to notice that something happened so that they can get a, you can get a foul called on the other team. But you're putting on this spectacular theatrical performance so that you can get noticed by somebody else. Jesus is saying, beware of practicing your right standing before God in a way that puts yourself on display. So verses two through four, like I said, talk about Watch out when you're giving to the needy that you're not just doing it for a public showing. But then what we're going to spend the most time on is verses 5 through 13. Because Jesus talks about the practice of prayer. How are we going to practice our right standing before God as people of prayer? So let's look at verses 5 and 6. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So it starts out, Jesus saying, when you pray. Guys, prayer in the life of a disciple is assumed and expected. If you find yourself and you can't remember the last time you sought the Lord in prayer, you're in a dangerous spot. 
in a dangerous spot. It's assumed and expected for a believer, for a follower of Jesus to live a life of prayer. Now, this text is not why you should pray. This text is saying, how do you pray? What do you pray when you pray? So you're going to be praying as a follower of Jesus. So how do you do it? And what do you say when you pray? Now, what he's going to do is he's going to give two ways not to pray and one way to pray. The one way to pray is super familiar to most everybody in this room. But we're going to spend most of our time on the two ways not to pray. First off, he says, don't be like a hypocrite. Now, you get the idea of a hypocrite, right? It's one of the things that most non-Christians would say, this is preventing me from becoming a Christian. I don't want to be like those hypocrites, right? They say one thing, but they act differently. Now, here's the fact. In church, as believers, we're all hypocrites. We all say one thing and we often live the other way. That's why we need the grace of God. So here he's saying, but when you pray, don't be like a hypocrite. Don't be like a hypocrite. The literal idea here is to have an interpreter from underneath. So it's in the Greek idea, the Roman idea, you have these, you put on a mask to put on a performance, right? But you're actually, you have this mask that everybody sees, but you're speaking from underneath the mask. That's the idea of a hypocrite. You're a pretender. You say one thing, you look one way. This is what everybody thinks. Oh, they must be a great Christian by the way that they pray. But the way that they speak is very different. Or they look good on the outside, but when they start to pray... I don't know if they believe the same God that they're saying they believe in. It's an actor just wearing this mask. Jesus is saying, don't be a pretender when you pray. Why? It says, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Don't pray this way. Don't be a pretender. Why? Because they love to be seen. They love to be seen by others. They treasure and they value and they crave other people's approval. Now for them, it says the application was, hey, when you go to the synagogue, when you go to the street corner and pray, don't make a big deal about it. Don't don't do that. Like for us, if we went to a street corner and jumped up on a park bench or something and we started praying out loud, we're going to get some kind of attention. Today, we're not going to get the same kind of attention they got. They're going to be like, oh, that person lost their mind. That's why they're jumping up on this park bench, right? For them, it was a good thing. You had all these religious people around. You stand up in the synagogue. You stand up on the street corner and you start praying. All the religious people come around and go, ooh, oh, he must be really godly. She must be really godly. And you go, why are you jumping up on the park bench praying out loud in front of everybody? Don't do this to be seen by everybody. Now, is it wrong to pray in public? No. There are examples all throughout the New Testament. People prayed in public often, okay? So you can pray in public, but if you pray in public... What's the motivation behind it? Are you praying just to be seen? The principle is don't pray just to get noticed by others. Don't pray just to get noticed by others. Maybe the application for us is, hey, you went into your room in the morning, you got up early, you opened your Bible, you started reading, you started praying to your father, and then you set your coffee cup in just the right, right way beside it, then you took a picture and you posted, posted it to social media, right? 
You're like, oh, no, he saw my social media this morning. I didn't. I don't have social media, so I don't know. That Maybe that's the Holy Spirit, right? Um, but that's what we do these days, right? We're not standing up on street corners or in synagogues, but we're going, I want somebody to notice my godliness. Is it wrong to post a picture of your Bible on social media? No, but what's the intrinsic motivation behind it? Do you just want to get, maybe, maybe you're a young person in this room. And you know you're living one way, but if you can put your godliness out there on social media, maybe your parents think you're living the right way. Or maybe parents, you've treated your kids pretty terribly throughout the week, and maybe you just put something on social media and say, oh, this, my, my life, it's all about God. And then your, your kids look at it and go, ah, I don't know about that. Or maybe you, you post all that so that your pastors or your connection group leaders will think you're more godly than you are. We're not standing up in, on street corners or praying out loud in synagogues. But we have a lot of chance to get a lot of likes and have a lot of influence with our godliness. Are we doing it to be seen by other people? Because Jesus is clearly prohibiting this. Hey, don't pray like that. Don't pray like that. What are you longing for? It says they've received their reward. And what is their reward already? The fleeting, unsatisfactory approval of people. When you pray this way, you're going to receive your reward. And that is the fleeting, unsatisfying approval of people. And what does this ultimately reveal about your belief system? When we pray just to get noticed, this is what it reveals. God is not close enough to satisfy me. God is not close enough to satisfy me. I need man's approval. I need people to notice me. I need people to know me. I need people to be impressed by me. I need people to value me because I fear people over God. You're saying God's approval of me is not good enough. I got to find it somewhere else. So Christ's righteousness, the righteousness that you get to take on as a follower of Jesus, you're saying... That's not good enough. I need something else that I can see that's in much closer proximity to me to give approval. I can't see God. This life is about a life of faith here. You're saying Christ's righteousness isn't enough. God's approval of me because of Christ isn't enough. And the lie that we believe is that life is about us and we are the most important. Because that's how hypocrites pray. There's no intimacy with the Father. There's no relationship. There's no overflow. So what does this look like? It looks like you maybe go into connection group one night. And as you go to connection group, you're sitting there going, yes, I know my approval comes from God. I know that I'm not here. I don't have to please people. I'm only here to honor the Lord with my life. And then your connection group leader says, hey, would you pray for us tonight? And you freak out. You start sweating like crazy. I don't know what to say. What if I don't say the right things? Jesus is going, don't be like a hypocrite. Like You're not there to please all those people sitting in somebody's living room. Just talk to your heavenly father. That's the reward. Don't, don't go after the prize of people's approval. That's not how you want to do it. So how should you pray? It says, go into your room, Right? But when you, I'm sorry, 
But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Go to your room, pray to your Father. When you pray, find a place to withdraw from the world. That usually, usually looks like waking up a little earlier before everybody else wakes up, right? At my house, I'm not going to get much praying done after all four kids wake up. Other than like, God help me right now, right? I'm going to have to get up maybe a little early. Do you have to get up early to pray? No, not at all. But maybe that looks like withdrawing. That's what Jesus, that's how Jesus modeled it, right? In Mark chapter 1, we're not going to read this, but Jesus' fame is growing. And people are starting to notice who Jesus is. And as they start to notice who Jesus is, they come knocking at his door. Hey, we want to hear more from you. And you know what Jesus does at that point? He goes, it says, to a desolate place by himself and goes and prays. Like Jesus models this. When everybody has so many demands on your life, what do you do? You would draw to a place where you can kind of cut out the world. You can put your phone on silent, maybe turn your phone off, maybe leave your phone in the other room. That might be helpful, all right? Where you can focus on the Lord. Man, God, you're what I want. You're the reward here. I get to be with you. You're the prize. The reward is himself. So pray in a way that reveals that God is really close. He's not a distant being and that he's going to satisfy you more than anybody's approval. But it doesn't stop there. Verses 7 and 8. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. So don't be like the hypocrites. And then the second way he says don't pray. He says don't pray like the Gentiles. Don't pray like the Gentiles. Now the Gentiles were the opposite of the Jews, right? The Jews were God's chosen people. So for a Gentile during that day, it was like, you're an unbeliever. You're a pagan. You're not a follower of Jesus. So he says, don't pray like people who don't believe in God. Because how do they pray? They think they'll be heard by their empty phrases. They think they'll be heard by their empty phrases or vain repetitions. You just keep saying the same thing over and over to God in the same way and trying to like impress him with eloquent language, but it's this really empty language because you don't really mean it. You're like, God, help me, God, help me, God, help me, God, help me. Now, that is an okay prayer to pray, God, help me. But if it's just empty and there's nothing motivating behind it, because you're going to be like somebody that doesn't believe in God. Because the idea here were for the Gentiles... They would have a bunch of gods that they believed in. And they believed if they just said these empty, repetitious phrases over and over and over, eventually God was going to hear. One of those gods was going to hear them. He goes, hey, don't approach your prayer life that way. Don't just heap up a bunch of empty phrases and vain repetitions in hopes that God will finally know what you actually need. Kind of like the idea of like, you've written a song or you've written a poem and you just keep being really wordy. You don't have to keep being wordy. Just say what you need to say and be done with it. God hears you. God knows your heart. Absolutely. But don't just start saying like all these churchy things that you think you have to say so that God might hear you. Because what are you revealing about your belief when you do it that way? You are revealing that God is not real, so he can't be trusted. So if you pray like a hypocrite, God's not close enough to satisfy me. If you pray like a Gentile, you're saying, God's not real, so he can't be trusted. 
I've got to help him know what I need. And if you have to help God do anything, guess what? He's not God. He's not self-sufficient. He's not all-sufficient. He's not all-knowing if you've got to help him. So some of your smart people in the room, you're going, well, why do we even pray though? One, because Jesus says pray. So, all right, the obedience would be a great thing there. But that's probably not a, the best motivation, right? So why do we pray? Because, again, it's about intimacy and relationship and connection with your father. That's amazing that God wants to hear from you. You have the listening ear of the creator in prayer. Is that not an amazing thought? You have the listening ear of your creator. But sometimes we just start heaping up these empty phrases in hopes that, okay, if I say the right words, God will finally know what I need. God knows what you need. He's sovereign. He loves you. He cares about you. He created you. That's amazing. We get to go to God like that. Because your words won't impress God. He knows what you need. Don't pray like somebody who says, I need to help God know my needs. You don't have to help God, but he wants to hear from you. So how are you supposed to pray then? Don't heap up on these empty phrases. Just pray with simplicity. So maybe cut out the rest of the world and then pray with simplicity, trusting that God sees you and that God knows you. Now, can you repeat things in your prayer life? Sure you can. It is okay. But if it's just this empty repetition, just because that's what you're supposed to do, you're missing it. There's a difference between like vain repetition in prayer and perseverance in prayer. In fact, in Luke chapter 18, Jesus says this. He tells a parable. Luke chapter 18, one, it's going to be 1 through 8. Says, and he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. All right, so not often does Jesus tell you what the parable means. All right, so he's going to make up this story and it's going to have a point, but Jesus tells them exactly why he's telling the story that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. That sounds pretty like repetitious to me, right? He, he said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused. But afterward he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay longer over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? So again, there's this lady and she keeps coming to this judge like, Hey, give me justice, give me justice, give me justice, please give me justice. And finally, this unrighteous judge goes like, "What? Just stop. Like, I'll give you what you want. That's not what we're doing with God. But the point here is like, You can keep coming back to God. Don't give up. Don't give up on the family member who you have prayed for for years. I, I see people in this room. Your family members have prayed for you for years. And over the past couple years, God has transformed your life and answered a lot of those prayers. That's amazing. It's amazing. Guys, we have to persevere in prayer. Don't quit. Don't give up. 1 Thessalonians 5 would say this, pray without ceasing, right? Pray without ceasing. 
What does that mean? How do do you pray without ceasing but have to go into your room and pray? Which one are you supposed to do? Yes, both of them. Get away, but don't let it stop when you're in secret. You keep continually praying day after day after day, moment by moment. Many of you know a guy named Kerry who goes to our Cedar Rapids location, Kerry Trantham. I'll say his name. He's in my connection group now. and uh, Kerry's one of the most godly men that I know. Kerry... You will see, we've often had people come up to us in Cedar Rapids and go, hey, is that man supposed to be wandering around the kids' area? We say, you want this man wandering around the kids' area. Because you know what Carrie wanders around doing? He prays for every kid in every one of those classes every single Sunday. He's just walking by. He might talk to me, he might talk to other people, but he's walking by praying for my four kids as he sees them in the room, Right? Other people's kids. This is a man that prays in secret, but he also prays without ceasing. It's just part of his life. Because that's the kind of church that we all want to be. A people that pray that way. Not just heaping up empty repetition, but going to God, persevering in prayer, not quitting, not giving up. So those are the two ways. God says, Jesus says, don't pray like the hypocrite. Don't pray just to be seen. Don't pray like the Gentile and just heap up all this empty stuff. And then Jesus is going to give them the model way to pray. Super familiar to many of us, even if you didn't grow up in church. Verses 9 through 13 says this. Pray then like this. So how does Jesus teach his disciples to pray? He actually prays. He says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, as soon as I started reading that, for some of you in this room, like, you just went into like, oh, this is what I know, right? And it sounds like a grunt before a football game, right? Like, our father was talking, I'm like, what did they just say? I don't know what any of those people just said because they were just heaping up empty repetitious phrases, Jesus is saying, don't do it that way. Know what you're praying. Jesus is giving them a model of how to pray. This is not the only way to pray. He's just saying, hey, if you're struggling with prayer and you need to learn how to pray, here's a model to follow. Here's a model to follow. He says, start with our Father. Again, goes back to an intimate relationship between you and your Creator. Our Father. Hallowed be your name. Hallowed means to be holy or set apart. Our Father, you're so different. Your name is different than every other name. Jesus, your name is the only one that can save. Father, you're so different. You're so distinct. I honor you. I esteem you. I value you. I treasure you. I love you. Because this is the opposite of self-centered prayer. Here is Jesus, Jesus, who has done tremendous miracles, going, our Father, hallowed be your name. Jesus is not even making a big deal about himself here. Jesus. But how do we often approach God? God, I need this. Please help me with this. Like That's how all our prayers often start. Simple, practical way. This week, start your prayers with God, you are. God, you are gracious. God, you are kind. God, you are sovereign. 
God, you're awesome. Just start, God, you are super practical way. Because then it takes the, takes our prayer life off of ourselves. It doesn't have to be eloquent. But guys, don't make it some just casual, flippant response. You're talking to God. How many of you are parents of middle schoolers? Anybody a parent of middle schooler? Okay. We've got a middle schooler. I asked him if I could share this. He said it was fine. Um, how many of you over the past several months or years have been called bruh? All right. All the middle school parents are like, yeah. If you don't have middle schoolers, you may not have heard that, right? Like, bruh. I can't believe that. Bruh. I'm like, Son, I'm your dad. I'm not your bruh, right? Like, it's okay. Like, he's, like, he's trying to connect. I get it, right? But there's this, like, I'm, I'm your dad. I'm your father, right? Don't just make it this flippant, casual, hey, what's up, dad? I mean, you could say that. But you could also say, God, you're awesome. Father. But there's still a super relational connection, Right? Father, hallowed be your name. I value you above all else. And everything about this model prayer really is about God. Our Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. It's about his purposes. Right? Jesus is saying, let your plan and your purposes be fulfilled in me and be fulfilled in the world. So it's about when God's purposes are fulfilled, His name is going to be hallowed in the world. And that's what we want the world to know. How awesome our God is. It's not just about His purposes in the world, but then His provision. Give us this day our daily bread. God, give us what we need today. Not a surplus of what we need. Give us what we need. It goes back to the Israelites wandering around in the desert, they got daily bread, manna from heaven. Did they like the daily bread all the time? Nope, they even complained about it. But do you know what they had? Daily bread. Don't just go to God going, oh, I need this, I need this extra. Like, God, just give me what I actually need today, not just what I want. Because when I have what I need and I don't have all this extra stuff, I'm just going to depend on you. And when you depend on the Lord, guess what's being hallowed? The Lord. Like, His purposes are set apart. His provision is different. Verse 12, His forgiveness. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Forgive us our sins. Confession is a part of prayer. We start with, God, you're, you're awesome. You're doing amazing things in this world. And God, we pray for other people who are doing great ministry. And God, as I recognize how incredible you are, help me to quickly see how sinful I am. And you confess your own sins. And then you demonstrate that forgiveness by forgiving other people. And then verse 13, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Every experience you have is either a, a test from God or a temptation from Satan. God doesn't tempt. But he's saying, hey, when I get into those experiences, hey, Lord, please deliver me away from temptation. When I go through suffering and when I go through trials, help me not to be a complainer. Help me to be somebody who praises you in the midst of that. And again, in all these ways, 
his purposes, his provision, his forgiveness, his deliverance, when all these things are happening in us and those things are happening in the world, our Father's name is being hallowed. That's how we want to pray. That's how we pray. Guys, Jesus' prayer here was vastly different than the hypocrites, and it was vastly different from the Gentiles. Because they said, God, you're not close enough. You're not sufficient. God, you're not real. You're not trustworthy. When Jesus prayed, he said, God, you're ultimate. Father, you're ultimate. You're supreme. And I cannot do life without you. I cannot do life without you. So this is what I want you to remember. Pray in a way that reveals you live for God. Pray in a way that reveals you live for God. Super simple statement. But if you looked at your prayer life, would it reveal that you live for God? Or would it reveal you live for yourself? Or would it reveal you live for other people? To be seen by other people. When Jesus prayed, he said, God, you're ultimate. Father, you're ultimate. I need you. If you believe that God is real and ultimate and fully satisfying and close and trustworthy, pray in a way that reflects that, church. Pray in a way that reflects that. But here's the key. Remember, all this was about practices of righteousness. Prayer is a way to practice your righteousness, your right standing before God. But church, what we cannot miss is that prayer is not the source of your righteousness. If you get your prayers wrong, God doesn't love you less. If you get your prayers right, God doesn't love you more. Why does God approve of you? Because of Jesus and his righteousness. Don't just leave here going like, I got to pray better. Leave here this morning going, Jesus is awesome. His righteousness is incredible. Why would I want the approval of other people? When I have the approval of God because of Christ and what he did on the cross. In Philippians chapter 3, verses 8 and 10, 8 through 10 says this. Indeed, this is Paul talking. I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in death. So what do you do with a sermon like this? My hope is that you search the depths of your heart, you search your beliefs. What are you believing about God? How's that being reflected? So maybe this week you just kind of audit your prayer life. Like, wait, how did I pray? Was there anything about God in my prayer? Or was it all about me? So look at your prayer life. And then find a place, find a time, and use a tool to help you pray. All right? There are a million different tools that you can use. I'm going to give you two. All right? Our church is giving you one right here. This little prayer guide. If you want to start praying tomorrow with the rest of our church, pick this up on your way out. There's multiple copies at the back, all right? Uh, The other way, just a tool that I would say use, is many of you have been taught to pray this way, using the acronym ACTS, all right? I think we have it on screen here, ACTS. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. Just think of that acronym when you pray tomorrow, when you pray today. ACTS, all right? How are you adoring God? God, you're blank, right? You're, you're all these things. You're adoring God. Then when you recognize how awesome God is, it often reveals our own sinfulness, right? So then 
we adore God and then confess your sin in prayer. And then just begin to thank God for all the things in life. All the people doing great ministry around the world. Adore Him. Confess your sins. Thank Him. And then what's last is often the thing we start with. Okay, God, now can you help me with this? I could really use some patience with my kids. I'm really struggling as my kids get, go back to school. and I need, Please help them to find great friends, right? But don't start there. Like, adore God. Let it be an intimate relational connection. Guys, imagine if our church started to pray this way. Where we recognize the reality and the closeness and the sufficiency and trustworthiness of God. And we don't have to have a bunch of prayer nights to see God move. Because we got a bunch of praying people who go in their closets and pray. Nobody ever sees it. And God's doing incredible stuff. That's the kind of church we want to be.